Welcome to episode 47 of the Preaching Donkey podcast. Today's show is going to be really awesome. I think it's going to be very helpful for everybody watching or listening. I have my good friend Lance Howard of Champion Hope on, and he is going to talk about calmness and how we as pastors, as leaders, as people who want to make an impact on the world have to understand how to be, as he calls it, the calmest person in the room and how that can actually affect everything else in our life and in our leadership. It's a really fascinating conversation. Lance is a really fascinating guy. He and I actually just met on you know, Facebook and just kind of, I had Preaching Donkey, he's got Champion Hope, and somewhere along the way we became friends. And I've always wanted to have a sit down conversation with him and talk through kind of what kind of work he does and how it helps people. Because I really think that this issue that he's going to talk about is a phenomenal thing to embrace and to master. And especially if, as if you're watching this when I put it out, as we go into the end of the year, Christmas services are going to happen and all that craziness. But then there's going to be this brief little period of time between when you do your Christmas services and the end of the year before the next year starts where there's some time for reflection and there's some time for thinking through what does God want from me in this next year of my life. And I think what you're gonna find in this episode are some really good techniques to actually slow you down to the point where you can have that kind of conversation and experience that kind of clarity. That's coming up. I have something for you. Go to preachingdonkey.com slash 21 days. You can pick up my free 21 day guide to creating killer sermons. It's just a three week, three step process that will walk you through how to create and deliver a life-changing message. You can pick that up for free at preachingdonkey.com slash 21 days. With no further delay, let's dive into our conversation with Lance Howard. Lance Howard, it's so awesome to have you on the podcast today. How you doing, my friend? I am doing outstanding. Thank you so much, Lane, for having me. I'm honored to be here. Yeah, absolutely. I know that this is going to be really beneficial for everybody who listens. I've been really looking forward to this Ever since we first talked, I talked a little bit about, about that before we jumped on with, uh, with everybody about how we, we met just kind of on the interwebs and had an affinity and uh, just are, we're in the same space. We're trying to help people who lead out in ministry and in life to be great at what they do and in different ways. And so when I think about uh, our conversation that we're about to have, I'm so excited about it because we're going to be talking about particularly about calmness and how important that is as leaders and as pastors and as people who want to have an impact on our teams. And yet that is something that doesn't come naturally to me, doesn't come naturally to a lot of people, but we're going to dive into it. So when you kind of look back on all of your experiences, being in ministry for a decade and a half plus, being a coach, all of the things that you've done, uh, what is it about calmness that is so important and why is it something that we need to pursue? Yeah. Well, let's connect the affinity, right? You, you got four girls. Uh, yep. I've got four girls. Uh, so could you imagine our presence as fathers? Uh, I talk about this often, like at night, the worst comes out at me. And I'm like, where did, where did this come from? <laughs> And so, and so our conversation today, when I think about being the calmest person in the room, whether you're on the stage or whether you're putting your kids to bed or whether you're doing a funeral or a marriage session, it's really this idea about being so incredibly aware of yourself 
your feelings and what those feelings are driving you to do and or to avoid. Uh, so that's what I think about when I, when I talk about being the calmest person in the room. So if, you know, given the last 18 months that we've had in, in society with the pandemic, trying to lead through that, you, you do one thing and everybody hates it, or half of the people hate it, you do something else. The other half of people hate it. It's been a very tough year and a half for pastors. But even setting that aside, even before COVID, there was this pressure. There's always this pressure to keep pushing, to keep going forward, to keep producing, to keep doing. And when I think about being calm, I think about is, is that really what's needed in this moment? And can I even bring it? Can I bring that of myself and what would that do for people? So can you talk about why is it such an important thing to be the calmest person in the room? What are you offering when you're doing that? And how does someone like me or someone who just as a result of a couple of years of all this pressure, um, remain calm and train themselves to be calm? Absolutely. When I, when I think about the audience that's listening, you know, I think about how many obligations we have. It's, it's unlike any other role in the entire world. It's probably the most difficult and stressful job ever, right? You got the spiritual, relational, and everything is colliding together. So being the calmest person in the room is a very hard challenge for pastors, preachers, ministry leaders. And so I think about this question of, of asking yourself, what is mine to do? What is, what is mine to do? If you have a, a funeral on Thursday and you're trying to finish up a sermon on Sunday and you've got a counseling session, a pastoral session with somebody on Monday over coffee, it is very helpful to ask like, what is mine to do? Because the reality is, is that we feel so frantic and we feel so bombarded with all the pressure to perform Um, But the reality is, is that we as individuals have over committed ourselves. And so when you get ready to stand on stage on Sunday morning, you feel anxious one, because you haven't prepared diligently enough, or you feel anxious because of a tense relationship that's sitting in the room. And so it's really exploring this internal narrative and this belief system of what's going on inside of you. And so this work about being the most, the calmest person in the room is really about the process of, of who you're becoming as a whole individual. Yeah. Cause I feel like there's such a temptation to only give bits and pieces of yourself in any given situation. Like for, for me, the way this translates is I am very task oriented. So in any church role that I've ever had, I have a tendency to look past the person and look at the task that I have to do. That task might be really important and it's where my focus is. uh, But what people want in the moment is not for me to go accomplish a task. They want me to care about them. And when I would work with people who were very people oriented and they, they could just, no matter what was going on, no matter how many directions they were being pulled that particular day, if somebody needed them in that moment, they were there. And I always, I, I, at this, at one point, at one time I would envy that at the same time, I would kind of judge it like, well, gosh, like they don't get anything done and everybody feels loved, but the whole place is falling apart. And they would look at me and say, you're getting a lot done, but nobody feels cared about. And, you know, and it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a challenging thing to overcome when you're wired to do 
And I would imagine if you're wired as a people person, you also have the problem of you can only give yourself so much and so many times. So how do you show up completely? And, you know, you're the calmest person in the room and people know that you care and, and you're offering yourself. What does that look like? Right, right. For, for me personally, it is uh, a value system of, of habits and rituals and rhythms. Um, and those take time to build. And, and unless you have them, then you won't have that sense of being the calmest person in the room. Uh, because you're absolutely right. Most, most preachers, teachers, pastors, ministry leaders have a high degree of uh, this performance mindset on the platform on Sunday morning, and they've done a million tasks throughout the week. But we also have this weird balance or this weird tension of like, a lot of us are introverts and we love to study and then study some more and study some more. And so uh, it's, a, it's a difficult challenge to become the calmest person in the room, it, but it really is beginning to ask yourself, uh, what, what is going on inside of me? You know, I often say that champions on the outside are built with hope on the inside and that our presence begins with that hope. Uh, are, are we really grounded in the truth and the grace of scripture ourselves? And, and this isn't, is, this isn't one of those, um, Hey, be disciplined to have your separate time with God, because I think all of our time is, is time with God. Right. But I think you've got to figure out what rhythms um, and rituals are meaningful to you. Um, I'll mention one in, in particular. Um, it, it's simply breathing. Uh, there's different methods of it. Some people call it combat breathing. Some people call it box breathing. Uh, there's apps out there for it. Um, but I would simply start with five minutes and just sit and pay attention to your breathing. And then, and then those practices can can grow up to once or twice a day of just 20 minutes sitting sessions, centering prayer sessions. Because if you can't sit with yourselves in your own monkey mind for five or 20 minutes and dwell in the union with God, like that's going to be hard to have this ministry of presence around other people if you have not been in the presence of God yourself. And I'm not talking about intellectual knowledge and study of God. I'm just talking about being able to sit with your anxious mind and your anxious heart and give everything and everyone back to God in that moment. Gosh. Yeah. That's, that's rough because even if I'm sitting, I feel like, well, I gotta be doing something. I gotta Mm -hmm. be reading, gotta be praying, gotta be planning. So yeah, I'll sit in the silence, but I can't just be with myself and yeah, I mean, that, that is, I, it's interesting. I wrote these down because you said what it comes down to is a training involving your values, habits, and rituals. Did I get that yep. right? Yep. So a, a ritual might be the breathing technique or the centering. What would be, and I'm, I'm guessing some of these overlap because that's all, those are also habits, but what are some right. habits that you can form that, you know, produce these kind of results where you can be calm? Right, right. So I'll, I'll reference, I'll go back to the, the values, because unless we have values that are pointing us in some direction, then, then we're not going to do the habits. We're not going to do the rituals. Uh, so in my coaching, I often start with uh, like an H, like what is the house you're building, right? What, what is the foundation, the walls, the roof? 
And let's build a framework of five values that you truly live by. And out of those five values, okay, let's identify some rituals and habits that allow you to have a meaningful house, right? Both a spiritual house and the, the physical house uh, that you lead at home. But on a, on a very practical note, um, this, this sounds so counterintuitive and, and I know most people are going to balk at it, but breathing is, is the by far probably the singular most important thing that we can do. The second thing that I enjoy doing uh, is cold showers. Mm. Um, and, and it has a way because you can't be anywhere else except in a cold shower. Like, right. When you're, when your body is underneath the cold shower, your mind has, has this weird ability to, it can't wonder, it can't stray. And so if, whether you start with 15 seconds and build up to three minutes or five minutes, you know, um, that's up to you, but it is, it is this very helpful way. Um, I, the third thing I would say, um, is pay attention to what you're feeling. Uh, so, right. We, we got breathing, we got different centering practices, whether it's a cold shower, whether it's sitting in union with God. But the third thing I would say is, is pay attention to your feelings, pay attention to what has your thoughts. So for example, as men, I'll, I'll speak as most men, uh, we struggle with this, uh, what we would say as anger, but really that's a reactionary to something else. Mm -hmm. And so it's really trying to say, okay, I, I feel lonely, right? I'm giving myself to everyone else in this room and not one person has called a check on me. Well, one in a month, two in a year, or possibly three, even in a decade. <laughs> so, <laughs> so like, right. You're giving yourself so much to other people. I, I talked to so many men that a common response is a sense of anger, but if you dig deeper and it's, it's really this, this feeling of loneliness, I feel lonely. What I want to do is respond in anger, uh, at home at eight o'clock at night when I'm trying to put my four girls to bed, but what I'm going to choose to do instead is I'm going to try to be connected to my family and to serve them in, in meaningful ways. So naming what it has your attention and your feelings out loud begins to rewire your brain and your brain doesn't know the difference, uh, meaning that your brain acts as if you're actually uh, rewiring it to not do that, that anger reaction, if that makes sense. Interesting. So you can, it's like brain hacking, essentially, right? You can, <laughs> you can hack your brain to, right. to behave, to behave according to your values. Right. Right. What's so interesting about this is it seems like you can't just go into a situation and say, I'm going to now be calm. As if, <laughs> right? Like that is the tendency right. that I have where it's like, okay, I've got a tough meeting. I've got to, I've got yep. to meet with these people. I've got to de deal with this conflict. I am going to be calm. Well, yeah. the problem with that is if I am not centered, I, I don't have any, I, I have never done any of these rituals or habits that lead to a centered, calm life. Yeah. I can't just be some, I might be able to fake it for an right. hour but it's not real calmness, right? right? Maybe on the inside, I'm going nuts with just anger and fear and whatever. Right. Um, and I'm able to hold it in, but it's like a pressure cooker during that time. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, it's interesting that you, you have to do the work. 
So, so like, I mean, that's a very real example, right? You're going into a Tuesday morning, 10 o'clock meeting or a Wednesday night elders meeting, and you feel anxious, like you can feel your anxiety or you can feel this sense of um, despair. It's like, oh, another meeting, right? Mm -hmm. Like you feel that in your chest. So I'll, I'll go back to what I said is that that's a good place to start. Just slow, slow down, like two minutes before you go into that meeting, sit in the car a little bit longer and just say out loud to yourself, right? Because you got to, like you said, you got to hack your brain into new ways of being. You don't get there by just thinking about these things. You've got to hack your brain into new ways of being. And so sit in the car for two minutes and just say, what is it I feel? Oh, I feel really lonely and afraid in this moment because last time Bill hijacked the meeting and then he began to blame everything on me. What I want to do in this meeting is, is be super passive aggressive and withdrawal and not show up with the confidence presence in the room. But I know that my presence matters. So what I'm going to choose to do is take three more deep breaths and give this meeting over to God and walk in there with a sense of calm that only comes from Christ and a sense of confidence that only is given to us by Christ as well. Yeah, that's interesting because I think a lot of people might misunderstand calmness as sheepishness, right? Mm, yeah. Like. All right. But you're saying you can be both calm and confident. How does that, yeah. how does that work? Yeah, yeah. So it, I'll go back to the example I was using with Bill. It comes from you being in a position of calm. The, the second thing is uh, you can't be confident unless you're connected to yourself and your own personal value, belief, belonging, uh, beloved. And out of being connected to yourself, you have to walk into that room, into that meeting trying to stay relationally connected to Bill, right? He hurt you last time. But the first person you need to go and talk to when you walk into that room is, is Bill. Say, hey, Bill, how's, how's your daughter? How was her soccer game? You know, I've been really thinking about her, you know, uh, things of that nature, right? So you're, you're trying to take a position of like, I'm calm, I'm connected to myself, and I'm going to connect to three people in this room. There's 13 people in this room, but let's connect to just three of them. And then out of that, you begin to feel a little bit more relaxed instead of withdrawn. And out of that position, now you can show up in the meeting with a little bit more confidence because you have built that relational trust that is essential for our own health. And it's essential for the health of the organization too. Yeah. Yeah. That's so, that's so good because I feel like there is a tendency to at least I have a tendency towards avoidance. So when you talk about, you know, that sense of like despair, like, oh, I've got to deal with this again. There's a tendency uh, to avoid. And I had a, a good friend tell me one time that avoidance and anxiety are like cousins, right? So like yeah. you have anxiety, so you avoid something, which only leads to more anxiety about that thing because it's undealt with. And the, it just kind of spirals until you finally, you know, deal with it. And I think that's, that's a really difficult thing to do if, if, and I, I'm just trying to process like the way, the way I have led and the way I have pastored is I, I want to move so quickly past conflict, get a res resolution and keep moving. It yeah. burdens me. It's, it's annoying. 
Uh, it, it causes me to lose sleep. It depends on the situation, but it, it, it can be a real disruption to the work that I'm doing. So yeah. Yeah. I want to get it over with as soon as possible and just be able to move on. And I think in that kind of hurriedness, I can bring that to a situation. And then all that calmness you're talking about is just missed because I'm thinking, okay, how do we get through this and get over with it and move on and be done um, and say all the things we're going to say. And, yeah. and so how do you break through that? And I, we may be going back to the same no, kind no, of question. Yeah. Which no, I, no, this is super, super helpful. Cause as, as we continue to talk, I'm just thinking about my own personal stories. Um, so here in a second, let's go to, to marriage and apply this, but, but for a few more moments, say at the workplace. Um, so I'll just use, use this metaphorical bill person, so, right, you, you leave a sermon or the meeting and something just went a little bit south. You can feel it. You know that something's wrong. And a lot of men and women in, in ministry, by nature, we are in a serving role, a serving capacity, and we give. And we neglect our own desires, wants, and needs in the process. We don't speak up for them. And like you said, we withdraw from them most of the time. And so when Bill says something slightly hurtful or, or when his wife says something slightly damaging about our sermon that we just presented, we take it very personal. And so going back to that being calm, confident, and connected, instead of withdrawing, it's picking up the, the phone on Thursday morning and saying, hey, Bill, I, I just felt a little disconnected from you last night. What, what can I do to restore that connection? You know, it, it's being a incredibly aware of what is happening. And so I'm thinking about a very personal situation, a scenario several years ago, uh, something happened between me and the, the lead team member. And I sat on it for six months and I just stewed. But what happened over that six months is that our relationship just got wider and wider and wider. He didn't, he didn't know anything that was going on in my head. It was just one. It was literally three words. And, and it was something I should have taken action on on Thursday morning. Just a simple conversation. Hey, Bill, like, I'm not really sure what you meant by that, that statement that you made yesterday. Could, could we talk about that? And even as you say that you're going back to trying to be the calmest person in the room. Yeah. And valuing that relationship, if that makes sense. So, so, so many times we forget and neglect our desires, wants, and needs, and we don't speak up and we withdraw for meetings, relationships. Um, and then it really just has damaging consequences uh, that affect us on Sunday morning, all the way to the bedroom with our spouse. So let's talk about that. What does this look like in, in marriage? So let's, let's talk about a couple very practical, practical things. Um, one is, uh, it's called the 22nd hug. And it's this, this posture of like, just being able to be with your spouse in just a very loving, connecting way with no sexual meaning or attachment going on. It's just this presence of like, man, I need to connect emotionally. And for a lot of the listeners that they're going to go home and practice this, you're going to find out how difficult it is to practice. The second thing to it is that if you want to build on a 20 second hug, just hug until you're relaxed, hug until you're, um, hug until you kind of feel your body sink into that person. But what we're really talking about on a very, uh, 
more meaningful level uh, as a marriage and family therapist is, is differentiation. Being able to stand inside your hula hoop in such a way that, that when you embrace your spouse, just pay attention to your feet and, and, and how you embrace your spouse. Like, are you leaning into them and is all your emotion going into them and like over differentiating, if that makes sense? Are you giving too much of yourself to them? Are you, are you able to stand there and just truly hug each other until both of you are relaxed? Um, so that, that's one thing I think about that, that'll allow you to pay attention to your anxiety. Like, what is it about this emotional connection with your spouse that you can't hug for 10 seconds? Like you're, you're going to feel this tension of like, Oh, I'm going to let go. So, yes. so yeah, I mean, I mean, I mean, I'm thinking about so many different scenarios. I'm thinking about it, an executive pastor I serve. Um, and we're going through, through some spousal things with him. He came to me because he wanted to talk about things in the work environment, but right. The, the way you show up at work is really how you're showing up at home. Right. Yeah. So these practices are a little bit easier to start at home, but I would say they're much more difficult. Uh, because that's the most meaningful relationship and you don't want to, you you fear breaking that relationship. So sometimes you don't even do these 20 second hugs because it's like, oh, it gets uncomfortable. So let's talk about differentiation. Cause I'm, I'm really curious about this. So you're saying that you, you come together and you, and you hug. And if I'm hearing you correctly, it should be a mutually beneficial ordeal, right? right. I'm hugging you. You're hugging me. We're both feeling relaxed differentiation is when I lean too heavily on you. And I can tell even by like my body, my, the posture of my body. And now you're kind of burdened with, with, I I feel great, but you, you, you are not able to have a mutual benefit from this hug. You don't get the same endorphins. You're, you're just supporting my body weight. Am I understanding that correctly? Absolutely. And, And the same is true for your spouse, right? If so, sometimes the, the difference, you know, whoever it may be, the differentiated person, maybe the other spouse, um, and they're giving all your emotion back to you because they feel super disconnected or they feel super lonely or because of their loneliness and, and separation, they may just, it's a three second hug and it's over. Right. So it's, it's being able to pay attention to these emotional, physical body cues and, and draw self-awareness applications into like, Hey, what's, what's going on? Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's so, uh, that's so vital. I know for, for my wife and I, any conversation we have that is tense or we're trying to work something out or there's a disagreement when it's all said and done, we always hug because it is the thing that like recenters our relationship and is able to bring us back to kind of like, okay, we're, there's something about, and we're going through something even today. That's a little bit challenging, not between us, but between just a a third party. And even before we got on this call, I was, you know, we was having lunch and we just stood there and hugged for might've been 20 seconds, might've been 15. I don't know, but there's something that just releases, you know, when you hug your spouse, that is just so like, it's, uh, you know, it's almost like a breathing technique in itself because the whole world can be kind of falling apart. But when you hug that person who knows you more than anyone and still loves you, it it can be a really, really powerful thing. So I, I, I love that encouragement to do that. Um, 
Yeah. Well, and, and like you said earlier, uh, the chemicals in your brain are doing all these fancy dances that are going on and doing things that, that neuroscientists that I don't understand, but there is research to back this up. All, all that to say is that this is not just some mythical number that I came up with. Uh, 20 seconds does some powerful things uh, to reconnect and rewire, uh, go back to brain hacking. I'm going to, I'm going to steal that word. Thank you. Well, I didn't come up with it. I heard it somewhere, but it, you know, uh, I think it's great along the, the lines of biohacking, brain hacking, cold showers. I've, I've heard about this before. I've, I've heard that there's a ton of medical benefits to mm-hmm. all the things that it does for your cells, restoring and healing all kinds of stuff. So can you speak to like why a cold shower, why you know, you talked about presence, like you can't, you can't think of anything else. And that's a huge benefit, but can you talk about kind of what else is there to that? I'd love to kind of dive into it. Uh, sure. Let me, let me share this thought just very practical before I'm diving in that. So hugs, eye contact mm. as, as preachers, ministries, leaders uh, practice eye contact, slow, slow down on the stage, just super slow down on the stage. And go on, on Tuesday and just practice reading the Sermon on the Mount and making deep eye contact. Make deep eye contact to the metaphorical bill where you're talking about. Go back home to your spouse and, and make deep eye contact. Right? It, it's just another it's another tool to just practice like what's what's this self-awareness that I can't keep eye contact with my wife right now? Yeah. So uh, but yeah, the the whole the whole cold shower thing, uh, it's something I started. Uh, about a month, two months in after COVID, um, just to build my own sense of resiliency. And so now it's, you know, 600, 700 plus days of a cold shower, first thing I do in the morning. And I know some guys out there have, you know, these cold immersion tubs and stuff. Uh, I don't have one of those at this time. But once again, this, this stuff is stuff backed up by science uh, that one, uh, it builds an incredible immune system. Mm. Right. If you, if you just break down, like just the simple, I've got a cold, like, like just think about just like our words for a moment. So I've got a cold. So if I'm building my body to have an immune system against cold water, in theory, just in layman's term, then my immune system is going to be stronger to not have a cold as silly and as dumb as that sounds. So I started it for immune reasons, resiliency reasons. I, I trained to CrossFit stuff every day. And so there's a lot of benefits to, you know, relaxing the muscles, things of that nature. Uh, and this goes back to the bedroom, you know, for the men that are listening, there's tons of uh, libido enhancements, sexual performance stuff that happens. It's just an incredible, uh, it's incredibly cheap. I mean, it's cold water. <laughs> right? Yeah. It's cheaper than a hot shower. That's for yeah. sure. I mean, it's just a great way to level up your life and to do hard things. Lane, we, we live in such a, a comfortable culture and society. Yeah. Uh, and, and that's my greatest fear for myself. I'm a nine on the Enneagram. And so all the things that we're talking about, I have to super fight against them. So all these things that I do, I'm doing them because I have to fight against my own flesh um, in order to be led by the spirit. Right. So I I'm doing these things to build, not just a physical stamina, but I'm doing them to build a spiritual stamina as well. So, uh, yeah, cold showers start with 10 seconds and continue to add 10 seconds. Um, 
or uh, another way that you can do it is start with the hot water, turn the hot water off and allow the cold water to run and begin there with 30 seconds and then just continue to build your way up. Yeah. Uh, so I've done that before where, uh, I would turn the hot water off and just see how long I can take it, you know, before, yeah. before shutting it off and, and closing it. But I, I, I'm going to go try that for a lot of reasons. One is the, the, the centering, the presence I think is, is really important. Like bringing, because I get up at four 30, I go straight to the gym um, I've got a group that I lift with every day. We're there from five to six 45 ish in the morning. And I come home and it's immediate, like trying to get the kids to school, take a shower, get ready for the day, get breakfast. Um, yeah. Or if I'm fasting, skip breakfast, but still got to get it for the kids and then, and then get to work. And there's very little room for that kind of what you just described earlier, where you said that you know, when you're standing in ice cold water, you can't think about anything else. You can't do anything else. It, it's literally, it's everything right. that seems really attractive. And I think also when you were talking about just the, the fact that it is a hard thing to do, like I want to stand under hot water and just enjoy, you know, the comfort yeah. of hot water yeah. and a hot steamy shower. That's great. I love that. It's a great, it's a, it's like therapy, but I'm very curious and I'm very intrigued by the cold shower thing. So I'll have to try that out. Yeah. You have to report back in. Let me know how that goes. Yeah. Um, earlier you talked about if you're trying, if you're, if you're going like back to, you know, in a meeting or maybe a conflict with your spouse or even with your kids where you haven't done these things to train yourself to be a calm person and to be a calm person in the room. So you can resort to passive aggression. Mm -hmm. What does that look like? And what are some of the things that we can look out for with that? Great, great question. Um, so I'll go back to the, the, the scenario I was referencing several years ago. I think it's paying attention to when you're aware that you're not having the hard conversation, right? All, all relationships grow through some measure of conflict right? Life, life grows through conflict, right? My body grows when I'm under a squat. So, so it's the same thing of, of this, this idea of growing through passive aggressive behavior is like, how can I be a man of action? You know, um, a simple example is that, uh, there is an IPO of a the electric car company, and this is not stock investment advice at all, but the Rivian company, uh, that came out, mm -hmm. uh, so in my head, I'm like, well, Tesla did this and they've been around for a few years. So, right. It's being a person of action. And so I, I, I put a few bucks in and kept going. Right. So it's paying attention to the ways that you're not showing up with action in your life. And on a very, very much a relational level, it's showing up to the conversations that you're avoiding. Uh, at least that's how I experience it for myself. And, and it's, and it's going back to the meetings, our spouse it's, and in those conversations, it's trying to be direct and clear for what you want, right? Don't, don't kind of dance around with it. I mean, that, that's, that's what I got feedback on for myself when I was doing the executive pastor stuff is like super great leader can keep the team moving in the same direction. They're like, Hey, just, just tell us specifically what you want us to do. Right. So, so there's a strength in just being clear, direct and taking actions, you know, with our words, with people. Yeah. Cause when you're, 
when you're leading a team, it can feel easy in the moment to go light or general, but then it, the people don't know what's expected. So they're left to figure it out on their own. They, yeah. they don't meet this unspoken expectation. Now you're frustrated, yeah. Yeah. but you know, you never articulated it. So you're, it's just this like trap that you find yourself in and it's, it's no good. Uh, Craig yeah. Rochelle has some really good stuff on that. Like hesitant leaders yeah. create tentative followers, you know, uh, yeah. something like that. Like people, if you're hesitant about what you want, no one's going to articulate that for you. Uh, and that's just something we have to learn for sure. Absolutely. So how does one say, say somebody's listening and they say, okay, I, I want to be this kind of person who can be in a tough situation, can face conflict, can remain calm, but also confident, avoid passive aggression. Um, what does it look like for me to pursue that? How do I, how do I connect with the right people? How do I hold myself accountable? How do I continue to grow? What have you seen that works? Hmm. Everything that I've ever done that's of value has always had an element of com community to it. Any Anytime I've grown through life, uh, it's through doing hard things with other people. So, so whatever it is that you want to do, like the cold showers, having that Thursday morning hard conversation with somebody, anytime that I bring somebody else into what's going on in my life and being open, authentic, transparent, vulnerable, courageous with them, my life begins to grow to new, new levels, right? That can be anybody from uh, a very meaningful mentor. That can be somebody even to your spouse, a coworker, a coach, uh, spiritual directors. I mean, it, it, the people who can play that role are, are myriad, but the reality is that too many people, this is just not a pastoral thing, but uh, I think pastors could be at, at, at fault here is that we're just playing the loneliness game, right? I mean, most men after the age of 25 or 30 do not add any meaningful male relationships to their life. Hmm. So, so that's like, okay, who's, who's in my life now that was in my life two years ago and who who's in my life right now that, that I'm thinking about, okay, I want to be closer to that person. Sure. And how, how can I be closer to that person? If, yeah. If, when if I think that about, makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. When I think about my closest friends, um, they, so a lot of them are guys I grew up with and went to high school with a lot of them are in ministry. Yeah. Now we stay in touch yeah. and I I've made friends as an adult and I have some really good dear friendships, but it's harder to do. It, it takes a, it takes a lot of intentionality and it's not something that you, you know, when you're young, you can kind of stumble into friendships because of proximity and just where we go to the same school, we go to the same church, whatever, but it's different when you're older and you also get to the point where you're so, I mean, you know, you and I both have four little girls. It takes a lot of energy to handle all that I do in my professional life. And then also be there for my wife, lead my family and do all the things that it takes to raise four little girls. I mean, it's yeah. just, it's a lot. I mean, you talked about bedtime. Bedtime is one of those things where we, 
you know, every night is like, there's a new, there's a new thing. That's like a new challenge. It's like, okay, we, you know, we got to get him PJ, got to get him teeth brush, got to get read a book. Got to, and okay. One escaped. Where'd she go? Let's get her back, you know? And okay. Now the dog came in and he messed everything up and we got to calm him down. And, and so you get through all of that. And at the end of it, you just want to, if you're like me, I'm wired pretty introverted, although I'm technically an extrovert, but as an ENTJ, I'm the most introverted extrovert. So I want to, I want to escape everyone, you know, and, and just be able to most of the time just go to sleep because I got to get up at four 30 and go to the gym. So it's hard to, it's hard to bring new relationships into that, but it is incredibly rewarding when a friendship blooms and a relationship takes off and you have this common interest and you have a brother or a sister who is uh, kind of walking with you through life. And and that's something that Rachel and I have pursued together. It's something that we've pursued on our own. And it's just, it's very difficult to do, especially if you've been in ministry where friendships can sometimes end, you know, when their relationship to your church ends. Um, And so sometimes you can kind of protect yourself a little bit there. You can kind of, it can make things a little bit complicated. Yeah. And, and, and on that note, I think some of the, the healthiest ministers I know, they have relational connections that have nothing to do with their church. Right. Um, yep. Right. Whether it's at the gym, whether it's a fly fishing trip, uh, whether, you know, it's the, the golf outing, but, but you have to be intentional to build it, right? All these things do not happen by accident. It's very intentional, very thoughtful, very meaningful. Uh, and you, and you've got to purposely design your life. So it's like, what, what do you really want your life to look like? You know, I mean, we all know the, the old saying at the end of the end of all of our days, right? There's only approximately eight people who can be around your bed as you die. Right. So, so who are those eight people? Find, find those eight people and invest deeply into them. And, and unfortunately, for most everybody listening to this, you're going to have to be the one that initiates it. Most, most people do not men, especially most men do not intentionally build meaningful relationships in their life. And and so you're going to have to get active. You're going to have to get aggressive um, and begin to ask, ask meaningful questions of other guys. Yeah, I, I I love it. And I think that uh, there's a whole lot to, to take from this. I, I think, it's, it's something I've never heard on a ministry podcast, leadership podcast, to my knowledge, I've never heard this topic discussed. So I'm glad we got to give it some treatment today because I think it's really a missed opportunity for so many. I think if there's one thing that I could take away from this, it's breathing and, sh- and cold showers. <laughs> um, uh, everything else is, is, is so good. And uh, everything we talked about, values, habits, uh, yeah. pursuing community. But when I think about how visceral the feeling is when there's, when there's conflict or when there's something that that's going on and how I actually have the capacity with the power of the Holy spirit to just breathe differently and make an impact on how I feel and how my body is processing this. That's a powerful tool. Yeah. I mean, how, how incredible. I mean, we're, we're breathing like that's how God spoke life into existence. Yeah. And yet we don't have to go into it, but most of us are nasal breathers and it's super unhealthy and, um, our mouth breathers, sorry, but 
I, I guess on, on that note, just a couple, I know, um, I don't know where you're going the last few minutes here, but for myself, you know, I, I think about uh, kind of as my bedrock value theme verse and, and is Romans five through through five. And is that this idea of that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character. And this character finally produces this hope that is deeply embedded in the name, the works and person of Jesus Christ. And so as I walk people through that, right, most people hire a coach, come to me in some season of, of suffering, they're trying to figure out how to grow, right. The transitional season, but even to the people that's listening, um, you can put yourself into intentional suffering, right. Through a cold shower, you can put yourself into intentional suffering by trying to sit with God with no agenda for 20 minutes. Like don't talk to God, like just sit and be in union with God. That's, that's self-awareness suffering that takes a while to build. But as you do that suffering, it produces this endurance, right? We're all trying to win this race, this, this race at home, this race at work, but ultimately this internal glory that we're all going after. Um, and all these things build this wonderful character inside of us that we're all just trying to be a little bit more like Jesus. We're trying to be the most calm, confident and connected person in the room. And last but not least on, on some of this that I'm on right now, uh, the last dance with Michael Jordan, uh, at the end, one of the questions was asked, like, how did, how did you do this? You know, talking about all the things that Michael Jordan did, he said, it started with hope. Hmm. And that's, that's like why I just like, I champion hope for ambitious men to be self-aware, assertive and fully alive from the bedroom to the boardroom and the adventure of following God is that, that we all want to be winners. We all want to be champions, but most of us don't want to do the diligent work of building hope on the inside and hmm. doing the, doing the diligent work of like Michael Jordan of showing up to the gym and shooting thousands of free throws, but right. How, how much more powerful would our presence be at the end of our days? if like, Somebody said, man, Lance, he, he did tens of thousands of minutes in silence before God. Like, right. I mean, if, if we're just trying to flip the role of free right. throws versus, versus minutes of sitting with God. So uh, those are some things just on my mind, just trying to put a few closing helpful thoughts uh, together for you and for your audience. Yeah, that's great. That's great, man. I'm so glad you came on. How can people go further with what you provide your resources, your coaching, where, where can we direct them? Absolutely. Championhope.com everywhere. Uh, you can find me from there, uh, on the, on the socials at Lance Howard, L A N T Z Howard. And there's two, two resources I've created for, for ambitious men, specifically women that are listening to this can download it and pass it on to their spouse or our coworker as well. Um, jumpstart, it's a 46 ways of how to be fully alive. So there's some of these hacks that we've talked about uh, that are inside of that free download. Uh, so go to championhope.com to download that. The second thing, and I don't know when this will be aired, but I'm coming out with a, the five habits of a champion husband. So it's going to be a free challenge course. It's going to have texts that you can send your spouse. It's going to have some of these challenges that we've talked about to challenge yourself. Um, but it also has some of these self-awareness questions and it's just a five habits uh, of a champion husband, champion husband. And you can find that at championhope.com as well. Thank you. Cool. Uh, well, great. So yeah, we'll definitely 
definitely link up all that in the description below if you're watching on YouTube and in the description on the uh, in the show notes on the podcast. Lance, thank you so much, man. This has been awesome. I really appreciate thank you coming on and I know this is going to really help a lot of people. Thank you, Lane. Wow. Well, I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did, and I hope you got a lot out of it that you can use and put into practice right away. Definitely check out what Lance is doing over at Champion Hope. Grab the resources that he has available to you, and I will see you in the next episode.